0: Jim Joyce, I don't know if you can recognize me.
1: Looking good, man. Looking good. You've been working out in the uh, in the basement there, <laughs> the garage. Yeah,
0: yeah, working out. <laughs> um, you know, um, I, I, I I'm loving the push-ups. I don't know about you.
1: <laughs> right, right. No, it's it's transforming you. I, you might be you might you might be a little careful there. You might want to back off on the push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on let,
0: let 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 you see the real me because I know that's what you know that's why we get together every Wednesday because you miss me
1: right so for our listeners, you were on uh, what were you using there
0: so um i'll I'll actually introduce that when we have our our awesome guest coming in um, okay. just because that particular person I think the people that have been watching the space know why why i I did this and You know, uh, that also goes to show that we're really unproduced. I kind of really messed around. I think it would have been awesome if we all did it. But hey, listen, you know, technical issues. But um, let me, uh, you know, I think our viewers, I mean, this is season two uh, already. I think they're aching for a little bit of stats. So I'm just going to go live real quick. we still have not broken uh, 100 subscribers on YouTube. Um, it, my little tweet the other day went nowhere. We're still at 90. So if you're watching, just spread the word. Um, but let me start with our podcast series. Okay. Um, so we are now over 400 uh, downloads, whatever that means. Um okay. Uh, that's good. I am not going to and now I'm going to go to YouTube. So this is exciting. I, I haven't actually visited it in a long time. All right, 90 subscribers. Well, we knew that. Um, okay. And away from got, 100. I know. Well, almost there. Almost there. Something over 5000 impressions uh, okay. and something like 2000 views across all the videos. Um, not bad. We're approaching 165 hours of people spending with us. This is pretty amazing. Um, exactly. Exactly. So, wow. And so what episode wow. are we now?
1: What episode? We're season two, episode number four or three? Uh, I think
0: two, man. No, who do we have? Yeah, no, we had, I don't know. And,
1: we had John and Bill.
0: Oh, that's right. John kicked us off, right? And then Bill, so this is uh, episode three. Yeah, I, I don't get to the counting part until I start posting the video. So anyway, um, I you know I don't know what else is going on on, on your side there. Any, anything interesting in Dublin? Any exciting um, news? Yeah, no.
1: Now it's like, it's kind of, you know, it's like, you know, like with innovation, like you kind of, you have the euphoria, you know, what's happening in the world. And then it starts to kind of plateau and kind of now we're, now we're just learning how to live, you know, to live like my office is back open. Um, I'm struggling to work every day, uh, you know, trying to get some good habits like, uh, like that we've been taught by this time, but still it's not, it's not back to, I don't think it's humming, you know, it's not, it's not quite humming yet in the business scene. I don't know how you feel. No,
0: honestly, same. We're we're just not, we're not there. Uh, interestingly enough, I'm just looking, making sure that I have the uh, the right, the right domain name. Uh, this morning, I got an email from our friend Roberto and Healthware. Um, yep. They launched uh, some, yeah, new, I think new normal.health. Yeah, new normal.health. Okay. Um, okay. So compilation of best practices, things that are happening, tracking. I I thought it was interesting. I personally don't like the word new normal because it's just, I, but, you know, but, but I guess it explains it anyway. um, I'm going to, you know, so I'm going to actually, I know you're going to be jealous because, um, our next guest, Shafi Ahmed. Uh, I met him years and years and years ago. Um, I, you know, he's a surgeon, uh, I think, co- uh, colorectal surgeon, uh, but it has been really in the forefront of driving, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality, education, democratization. I can't even pronounce the word, so hopefully he can do that better, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him in. So I, you know, I think, um, Hopefully the viewers can hear me, um, but I'm back. Looks like I'm back. So I'm going to let Shafi in. Okay. Okay, great. Shafi is coming on, coming on. That's a pretty picture. Hey Shafi. He can't hear us just yet. Now audio. Now he's trying to switch to Lumi. Okay. So the that's the, that's okay. what you were asking. That's Lumi live. And he's having some right. issues
1: with Lumi live. <laughs> wait, wait, like I had a little bit of, we should get him on in a second. You, I can't wait to hear uh, Shafi's background. This is a, uh, this is a, a serious, serious digital health character. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: he's messing hey, with me. Uh, can, can you hear me?
0: We can hear we can you. Hear We saw your virtual hair for a minute.
2: (laughs) Can you you see me now? Hold on a second. What's happened to Lumi? What's going on, Lumi? Come on, Lumi. What are you doing? Hold on a second. Let me
0: go.
2: (laughs) What's happened to my Lumi? Let's go. Let's go back. While
0: while you're trying to figure that out, we were, uh, you know, uh, Jim and I, while very unproduced, we do have usually a quick call on Mondays, which we end up talking about everything else but Wednesday. uh, and literally the only thing we said is, okay, let's try this Lumi thing and let's do it all. Um, but you know, your technical support is not as good as my technical support, so.
2: Are we there and, now? You can see me. Yeah, hey. yeah,
0: we can hey. see you, we can hey. hear you.
2: Jim, happy to see you, good to see you. And, hold on a second. Looking good, looking good. How are you,
0: Hey, how come I'm waving too, but it's not doing anything with my hands. But anyway, we'll, we'll figure that one out at some point. No, no,
2: no. Can you see that? Can you, can you, can you do that?
0: Can I know, you do this? I do put your thumb up there.
2: I am, can you but, do that? Not,
0: but it, but it's not recognizing my thumbs. So.
2: No, no. Uh, so you can't, it doesn't recognize what you've got to do on the Lumi live, um, app. Yeah. On the right hand side, you see the hand movements. You can't yeah. you won't recognize your hands. Just do one of those. They should move your hands. Uh huh. You see it? Right.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. So I can control myself
1: with a oh, little thing. It. That's it. Why don't so, we? So we, so do. we don't have too yeah. so much dead space here. Why don't? Why don't? Why don't we explain Lumi a little bit? I don't know how that. Uh, well,
0: how first of all, Shafi, I, I introduced you as the guy who is like virtual reality, augmented reality, you know, spearheading uh, education in in, in health. Um, So why don't you do your own introduction first, and then you can actually tell us a little more about Lumi because I saw you posting it.
2: So, so, hi, both of you. Uh, Good to meet you, James. Uh, Although, virtually uh, through this avatar, through Lumi. Uh, So I'm a surgeon by background. I'm a cancer specialist working in London. I have been working as a doctor for now. Oh, 27 years, and it's gone so quickly, and et cetera. My other interest around is innovation and health tech. Uh, I run a company called Medical Realities, which is like a VR education company, and I do a lot of advisory roles for various health tech companies around the world, including governments. Uh, And I currently work also as the Vodafone, like a teleco company, as the ambassador for 5G and connected e-health, essentially. So I do a lot of stuff around that and try to use my passion to change other people's mindsets, I guess.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And so talk, so t- maybe take, would you mind explaining kind of Lumi where it's at or, you know, what, what's happening with Lumi. So for people who can't see, uh, Eugene is virtually you know, your, av- your avatars here, uh, a beautiful looking avatar. You got you out of a t-shirt. <laughs>
2: yup. <laughs> so Lumi is, uh, I I got to uh, kind of, um, Shown it just about a week ago, really. Someone said you should try this; it's interesting. That we've all been zoomed out over the last three months on Zoom calls, etc. And they get a bit boring, a bit repetitive, and not quite sure whether to turn video off, video on, whether they're going to make a coffee, etc. All those kind of things. So, what this allows you to do is create an avatar in an app, which then becomes your avatar within the any screen. It's on the on the camera itself, so you can use it on Zoom, on uh, Teams, for example, Skype, whatever, whichever platform you want to use it for, etc. Uh, it kind of recognizes uh, your movements and your face and your voice, et cetera. So you get some kind of, um, um, kind of interactivity, if you like, within it. Um, and right. what that allows you to do, it takes away some of the Zoom fatigue. So you can walk away now, make it to you, have your coffee, and with your voice, you'll carry on talking as it were you. It's allowing the other people in the conversation to assume that it's you and have that kind of, um, uh, I guess, continuity. So I think it has that role. But wider than that, it's you know, about avatars and virtual humans and these are the kind of things we'll be doing going forward in the future across all platforms. So that's it, I'll just, I'll give you one wave. Hey everyone, it's Shafi on me Live, on Zoom, on the Eugene and James Joyce show. All right, there we go. Ooh,
0: shout up digital health therapy. So it, it's funny I'll shut like... it
2: down and I share my, I just share my real face. One second, let's just shut it all down. You're yeah. welcome
1: that is that is unbelievable that is uh that's totally transformative so like we gotta we gotta get i want to get into like like i'll let you ask the questions eugene but i want to talk google glass i want to talk surgery and we got to talk loomy <laughs> we have practical implications here that's fantastic so hopefully, guess... i'll
2: i'll reappear I'll re- hopefully
1: yeah. hopefully as well yeah. Yeah, we're all living in this kind of like, you know, in this delay, the Zoom delay, right? Like the Zoom delay. I hope get back
2: here in a second here. No, I just thought, I thought I'd uh, go back to normal. You know, you Shafi, know I got it. I,
0: I know I saw you post about this, I think on LinkedIn, that yes, we do have fatigue um, and sometimes just want to kind of just have our, our, our avatar personally and this is why i think jim and i do this every wednesday i miss hugs and i miss people and i miss you know even though i am on zoom so it's good to see your face man and not your avatar face
2: yeah good to see you as well yeah absolutely and you're right there's no such thing as the virtual hug is there really it's kind of missing from humanity for the last three and four months or so which is difficult for a lot of people right
1: yeah, so Shafi, I'm blown away, like Eugene, I, you know, I, I, I had heard about you and I looked through your background and the awards and the accolades and, and the, um, your proper digital health, you know, like uh, Eugene and I are interlopers, you know, we just build businesses.
2: Commercial <laughs> <line>. <laughs> We're in it together. It's kind of a collaborative approach, it's teamwork. We need all parts of, of that equation to make it work, of course. I'm just one small part of it, of course.
1: Do, do you say, actually, so are you just at? you're in surgery Are you in scrub?
2: No, so often with these Zoom, another thing I've found out is what do you wear? Do you wear a t-shirt? Do you wear a shirt? Do you wear a tie? Do you wear a suit? And so for us, we get away with it. We can just wear this top and actually it's acceptable. <laughs> so you don't have to think twice about what you need to wear for Zoom, right? <laughs> which audience is looking at. It's, it's universal.
0: I, <laughs> I don't want to know what's on the bottom, Shafi. <laughs> Uh, but, no, uh,
2: no, you don't. No, you don't, Eugene. <laughs> uh,
0: do you? Do you miss? Because so, Jim, I, I know you and I travel quite a bit, and you also kind of zoom in and out. I'll see you at a conference in two minutes, and then I don't see you anymore. Um, uh, Shafi, uh, you're the only person that I know. I think travel. I keep, I keep pro- losing
2: you, Eugene. I, I, I lose you. Yeah,
0: we're losing. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay, now it
2: comes. It comes and goes, but yeah
0: interesting i will tell probably my girls are streaming something upstairs yep
2: um,
0: <laughs> i was asking you you're the only person that i know that traveled like 10x that i did do you miss it um how do you cope with it
2: so i actually made a, a, a conscious to reduce my commitments this year around traveling i thankfully actually is the right choice because the pandemic came along and it prevented a lot of the trips I'd planned, so I'm okay with that. I think certain trips are important uh, still, which I'd plan on as the pandemic unwinds, make those arrangements again. But I'm actually quite relieved not to travel as much. Last year, you saw Eugene, it must be in between, almost 20 countries, I think it was. I mean, there's a lot of right. traveling. It's not glamorous, but people look at it. It's hard work, you know, it's tiring, exhausting. So it's time to recover. Uh, But in effect, it was useful for me to do those. I had lots of projects, as you know, that needed to be completed. Uh, But I don't envisage travelling as much in the future. I don't think we need to. I think this whole pandemic has shown us that travelling is not necessary. We can do things remotely as we have done, change our jobs appropriately, um, and actually work in a more efficient manner uh, on these kind of platforms. So I don't think anyone's going to be going back and travelling as much as we did before.
1: I, have I you agree. been practicing clinic, clinically during the whole, uh, have you been Have you been involved uh, clinically completely through this whole period?
2: So I, I was on sabbatical for a year and I came back in uh, April, uh, okay. back to right in the center of, of the pandemic. So I've been working clinically the last few months. Also, I was part of the, the, the Nightingale hospital team, setting up this um, hospital in the old Excel center, the exhibition center, which is a kind of okay. um, rapid... Um, Hospital uh, being built by the military and by Anisha staff to potentially allow for up to four thousand uh, patients, all ventilated. We didn't need the capacity in the end. As part of that, as well, uh, in that in the kind of the leadership team of it all. Now back in the front line. Uh, obviously, we've seen uh, in terms of what of surgery, what's happened. Lots of elective operations have been cancelled as you know, probably 50,000 per month in the UK have been cancelled because of the pandemic. We're only concentrating on urgent yeah. cases and cancer cases that are appropriate. It's been a huge change of our clinical practice uh, and being redistributed to the workload, to the front line, helping out, uh, redistributing our workforce and our junior trainees uh, in different areas. So it's been an interesting way of working for three and four months yeah. because of the of the intensity. And the priorities, but I think we've, I think the health service itself has managed well, um, in that sense. But what we've got now, problem, um, uh, James, is the backlog. Huge amount of diagnostics. Huge amount of operations right. that we're going to take. I reckon years to get back to the normality we had before, at least to, in control of the patients yeah. that need to be treated. And, and yeah, Sharpie yeah.
1: something, and also like I was just talking to my, mm-hmm. sorry, sorry, Eugene, go ahead. Keep going, keep going. My connection. No, I, I was talking to my medical director, my medical director for um, uh, health beacon, who's an oncologist, a radiation oncologist. And he was saying that his, his visits now have gone from like his um, inspections, his procedures have gone from like 15 minutes to 30 minutes. Yeah. So, so, so now he has this backlog uh, and he's fighting through it, but it's doubled the time because of the gowning up and gowning down process. Is, is that you saying the same thing?
2: Yeah, it's all of those things. It's the, all the precautions you have to take. The patient coming into theatre being prepared, putting up all your what's called PPE. Uh, it's called doffing and donning, putting your equipment on, getting ready, um, and the operations um, are taking longer as a result. So it's less efficient, of course. It's uh, yeah. tend to be much safer, uh, and of course there's a huge backlog of people waiting to be seen. And um, one thing is that's interesting, of course. A lot of patients aren't being seen in clinic the moment to assess them for surgery so that's not right. an issue the outpatients the, the backlog of patients just physically waiting to be seen with a problem um, and that's quite a sad in some ways because some of these people might need urgent operations they might not be an emergency they're being delayed right. because of this um, and some undoubtedly will have a worse outcome right just because of the fact that we can't even see them uh, for to assess them properly so mm-hmm. a lot of issues around prioritization uh, redistributing the workforce, Managing the acute crisis as we see fit, which have a knock-on effect on everything else.
0: And, and Shafi, in 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 the front lines, are you seeing a lot more usage uh, in the hospital settings of you know little robots with the video screens, uh, any other technology that you know to avoid unnecessary contact if needed?
2: Yeah, yeah, we are. So what we're seeing is a change in adoption, uh, Eugene. So let's take an example, the beam system that I've used for years, you know, the kind of the, the, kind of the iPad on wheels, if you like, controlled by your smartphone or computer. I used that, what, four years ago, and there was a bit of pushback then, because it's different, I was doing virtual ward rounds remotely, et cetera. Now that door's open, people are very open to using these kind of technologies, people using smartphones, iPads, and now we're seeing people using mixed reality devices on the wall to train people, because they can train people who are not on the front line, who can be elsewhere remotely. That's not widespread, but we're seeing a much better adoption of these kind of technologies Mm -hmm. where you can be read. Remember, during the kind of the real, um, at the kind of the center of the pandemic when a lot of patients were unwell, remember, we we couldn't see the residents, couldn't see the patients, right? They were dying alone because they weren't allowed to see them come to the ward. And so, people using iPads and computers, all sorts of things, to see their loved ones Mm -hmm. remotely. Um, yeah. And that was a huge problem for a lot of people. So we saw the translations and kind of the of these technologies much faster. There was less regulation, less pushback. And now the world is ready. So even when I came back a few months ago, I decided to do my beam again. I went around the wall of my beam system. It was accepted. The patients were OK with it. The nurses, the staff, saying, this is a great idea. When do we get right. one? The competition had changed over three or four years very suddenly because you know, these last few months, as you all know, it's kind of it's compressed time. So two to five years of innovation has been compressed to three months, but suddenly we need to do things differently. And so the ranks have changed, people's mindsets have changed and shifted accordingly. And we're seeing much quicker uh, innovation into clinical practice. And that's been great. It means people like me um, and you, and not you James, are seeing actually that future we we're describing is now much more relevant. Um, it's almost as if we predict right. the future, now it's happened. Now uh, the question is, where next? Right. to that's about more translation, more penetration, yeah, yeah. how we do more of it.
1: That's been great. It, it's it must be what fascinating it? for you. Like, so I was reading. Sorry, Eugene. We're, I think we're in delay today. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> we, um, we got a, um, so as like a futurist, like, so, you know, in your bio, we talk about being a futurist and Eugene certainly wow. is. And, uh, and, you know, and like I was actually thinking, I remember seeing Eugene on, I was seeing on the news somewhere in talking about you put a chip in you right, right away, right? You know, you, you remember that time you put like a, an implantable device I don't know. Yeah, maybe, I, I like went ages I, ago. I've never seen it.
2: And,
0: I, I I went to, uh, for some conference uh, in, in Asia. Next thing I know,
2: um, I, I, was being,
0: I was being dragged to CNBC saying, the man with a chip, right? So that was a fun, that was a fun trip.
1: You today guys, sound.
0: Yeah, today is horrible, huh? But we'll see.
1: Yeah, I don't this, know. Is it me or is it that's in mute?
0: I, I think it's my connection, but as long as uh, okay. you you you'll be. I'll you just through. I'll just sit back today and kind of listen in. I don't know. This is kind of nice.
1: <laughs> no, no. You you're coming through now. So so I, what I was what I wanted to ask you was. So there's a bunch of things I wanted to ask you when I was looking at your background, but like all this like innovation So you've been like finding, you know, doing surgeries, Google Glass. You know, it's like um, and then all this innovation comes flying at you, and people are open to it. Um, you know, but your role probably before was like champion it, you know, to people that might've been sometimes on deaf ears and, or people that weren't inspired or, you know, by it, but you were inspiring them, right? Like, so your role was to kind of inspire them. Hey, this is possible. You can do a surgery. I can train people. Um, you know, I can do those things. So how are you feeling about it now? Like your attitude must be, you must be a little bit in flux or how are you digesting all the opportunity?
2: That's a, that's a really good question. You're absolutely right. Um, being at the forefront years ago and saying, this is what the vision is. Uh, was if you're alone, you're out on your own, on a limb, trying to prove something and say, this is what we should be doing. And now that there's a uh, wide acceptability, it's good, actually. It means that, A, that you were correct. <laughs> that you were not completely crazy, James, Are the main times that uh, people right. felt I was. Um, but I'm just saying <laughs> that now we're seeing, uh, how do I support? How do I, how do we make change more rapid? How do we make it stick uh, across more sectors? How do we, more people come to this? Do you want to promote and attract more people to innovate now and use these technologies. Right. So my role now is facilitating that wider conversation. Yes, now we've seen it, proof concepts worked. it's relevant, we're using it. What about mass adoption? What are, the, what are the barriers for that? How do we collaborate better, yeah? So I see my role now moving slightly along. So actually, uh, we've done the proof of concept, now let's just move it forward and let everyone have access to these kind of wonderful technologies to improve. But do you feel technology. like it,
1: do you feel like it's frenetic right now? Like the whole thinking around this is like the freneticism, dude. That's how I feel. Like, you know, it's like, uh, oh, you know, there's like all these opportunities. you got to run from this to that.
2: Or yeah, you, are you probably
1: more chilled out than me? <laughs> no,
2: no. It is frenetic at least. Everyone's thinking about what's next, uh, what's next do this. That's good, right? We want it to be fast because we don't want to go back to the old normal, right? The worry that is, right. you know, you, you do this for a while. And people say, actually, actually, get it. It was okay for pandemic. We're going back to being... Um, very slow to adopt, but I don't think that's going to change. We want people to be frenetic. We want systems to work much better, much faster, because healthcare demands that pace, right? It's always been slow. So I don't mind people being frenetic or the society and the healthcare systems uh, being much more rapid in the implementation, uh, and I would would encourage it, quite frankly. Um, Yeah, so I I think it's okay. I don't mind the pace of it.
0: And and Jim, I will have to tell you, hopefully you can hear me, Shafi is more chill than you. So just just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> but can I, can bar, I Shafi, bar, uh, high bar. <laughs> can, I, can I drop you all the way back when you had this flashlight? Like, what was the first, um, I don't know, that spark that said, like, hey, you know, using this technology, I can actually educate people around the world, right? Like, to me... When I remember seeing, I think it was the Snapchat streaming that, and, and some of the locations that people watched your, your surgery from, to me, that was like one of those moments like, holy crap, right? Yeah. Um, so can we bring you all the way back? And then I'd like to know what's in the future also. I mean, you know, for us. Yeah.
2: So if we, let's get back to 2014. Gosh, a long time ago, right? 2014, gosh, it's gone so quickly. So look, I, I think at the point, I was uh, obviously a surgeon in clinical practice. I was also, I also had a role at the medical school. I was the associate dean at uh, Barts Medical School. that you've uh, visited Eugene. Yep, yep. And, so I, don't, and I, I also do a lot of training for surgical training. So I had a lot of interest in education and et cetera uh, for surgery across all, all, all spectrums. What I was struggling with was new ways of learning. I realised that students were getting bored in the operating theatre. They're often sitting in the back, not engaging, because it's busy in the hospital environment. So the operating theatre, operating room is busy, a lot of people. The people that get neglected and people in the back of the students. They just don't get adequate learning. And we hadn't challenged that for decades, if not centuries. This was the way of teaching surgery to the masses. And it wasn't real learning. It was a learning, what I call by a diffusion and osmosis, just by being the presence of something, you might pick up some information. It wasn't active learning at all. So I always used to experiment with my students. How do I train you while in the operating theater? I created a room next door for them to do some suturing, some stitching, etc., to keep them interested in the eight hours that we were doing the operation. And then, of course, then I realized that we could uh, train people much better. And then the good glass came out, of course. And for some, suddenly, the technology was available for me to um, challenge what the, traditional ways of learning work. And I was interested. I so, well, actually, I'm ready for this. Perfect solution. It makes sense. Yeah, I had the utility to justify what I was trying to do with students. So that's what it was. It was just the fact that it was available at that point. So very quickly, we streamed live operation, uh, which went global, uh, went to many people. I think I trained uh, 14,000 people in 118 countries. Just show that actually just by having a rabble tech, connecting people, people with their smartphones, which was ubiquitous. could learn from anybody around the world, which I always thought was a fundamental human right. And access should be beyond geographical boundaries and away from resources, it should be just free the point of contact. So that was my mission. Then a few later, of course, uh, Snapchat brought out spectacles. How funny was that? <laughs> so, and I was, you know, uh, I'd been on Facebook for a bit um, uh, on Instagram and Twitter and that kind of stuff. And Snapchat wasn't really on my mindset, really. This was for young people, etc. As I thought about it, actually, I thought, you know what? This is actually ridiculous. Hey, we're still
0: young, by the way. We're still young, damn it.
2: Y- young at heart, definitely, Eugene. So I was thinking, this is actually quite relevant, because if you look at my students that I'm trying to t- teach, uh, they're all between the ages of 18 and 25. In fact, the Snapchat used at that point, 70% were the same age group. This, is what happened, this was their language. This is what they used right. routinely. And okay, that's, that's the platform. So why don't we use what they understand, rather what we understand? Because we've moved on 30, 40 years, and society's moved on. So when the Spectacles came out, which I managed to grab a pair of, I thought, if I just push this out onto you know, the story uh, on Snapchat and do 10-second um, clips, I thought about how do we create learning that's going to be compelling for people and accessing immediately around the world. So we did a small operation, which is a hernia operation, um, and then I thought about it beforehand with my trainees. Okay, let's cut out into small bites of learning because people want bite-sized learning now. So we did 10-second yep. clips, about 20 clips, which they recorded during the operation, pushed out to my story. I must say, all the things I've done, I've done many crazy things. I thought that was one of the craziest. I, thought I was really apprehensive about you yeah. know, using social media, what I lose credibility, my i being professional here, Where the ethics, right. where's the confidentiality, how about patient concerns. Is, I, I was so unsure. And I didn't share okay. that with a lot of people, but I just thought this is just pushing that boundary perhaps too far. Let's see, control it properly, get right. two other medical students to view it and get feedback from them. Then, of course, it went viral. It went absolutely viral. Uh, it was published on a, uh, an article on, I, I played on Friday afternoon, um, and by the evening it was out in the press. Um, one of my colleagues reported it uh, in the US, and it went viral. By Saturday night, I had uh, the editor, one of the editors of Time magazine, phone Femi- me. At home randomly and saying can i i'm coming on sunday afternoon to take this story will you share a story on the sunday yeah. afternoon? i'm coming for you especially when do you get that kind of phone call so he came in and shared the story wow. once he shared the story globally it went viral as so a story that usually was going on about the reach that was the most amazing thing so i started doing regular operations on snapchat i've got a huge following and um, across the world wow. and i used to ask my because obviously in those days, Snapchat didn't tell you about a geographical location of your, of your people that were watching or your followers. Yeah. So it's asked the question of who are you, tell me where you are, where you're watching it from. I'd love to know, get a bigger picture of where you are, the reach of this. Honestly, the reach right. was amazing. Every part, of the, every part of the world was included. And one thing just stood out for me, which is the story that I shared with Eugene. I always found a message from a girl called Ella. I always remember her name? Ella she said, hi, um, Professor Ahmed. Thank you so much for teaching me. I'm really enjoying your teaching. And, uh, and by the way, I am actually a third year medical student in the Marianas Islands. Right? So I thought, okay, where's that, right? No idea. So I Google Earthed it and I found a small island of about 12,500 people in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And she was literally watching it from there, getting learning and sharing experience with me. And I thought that was so powerful that you can suddenly wow. reach people. In the most remote circumstances, and who is still learning from your experience, and that for me really was the kind of um, the, the validation of trying to move that forward and teach people on a global level and share knowledge in the global level. <clears throat> and that, that story will stay with me forever, of course. And I always remember Ellie. I wonder what happened to her, actually. I must try to find out at one point what happened to Ellie. So and my Shappy,
0: you, you know this. Uh, my daughter Shane obviously wants to be a surgeon, and you're yeah. like her her idol. We actually. Just as a joke, I got her the game operation, right? Uh, <laughs> just, just as a mm-hmm. as a joke. But I, I I'd love to know where because you know for for myself, I you know just looking at I hear robotic surgeries. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about kind of what's actually being done purely robotic versus guided, and where you know is that the largest opportunity? for technology uh, in, in surgery, like, or, or, or what? what? What else could it be? Let, let's futureize it. Just,
2: just before I got in the conversation, I had a whole hour uh, talking about digital <laughs> surgery with people globally, about the future, what's gonna happen, so I can yeah, share perfect. the thoughts I was just sharing an hour ago. So digital surgery is a new concept, I guess. Yeah, you know, digital health is a term that came out years ago. Hard to define what it is, still hard to define. <laughs> it found, its, it found It found its place. In the wider world of medicine. Digital surgery is more of a newer concept Um, in the last couple of years people talk about this whole idea of, uh, of surgery that has become more digitalized. For me it's an end-to-end piece from the beginning of the patient's pathway from telemedicine from e-consults mm-hmm. to e-consents to getting the data, patient empowerment and then of course this whole process around the operation and the OR is going to change immeasurably. It's one of the most exciting times uh, I think in surgery where all the technologies that we're describing are coming to the OR fairly quickly. Whether it's, right. for example, robots, whether it's AI, machine learning, whether it's voice tech, whether it's AR and VR, for example, it seems a natural fit to this kind of ecosystem of the operating theater. That's where we're seeing a lot of traction. A lot of companies and startups pushing yeah. hard in that direction. Surgery has become really attractive in that regard. So robots, let's talk about robots themselves. So the question about robots was, the, look, Intuitive Surgical brought out the Da Vinci uh, two decades ago, I think it was right now, uh, around the year 2000. And they done a great job in pushing it out, uh, showing the data, by dating the work, showing that it was a good um, uh, technology that may be helped with visualization and some operations, particularly the prostate operation uh, in the US, which is doing quite hard from perspective. Now seeing with one explanation. What, what, allows you to do is take away your perma, look in certain areas of the body, like the abdomen the pelvis, show better picture, better quality, maintain and so you can do more intricate things during the operation. Certainly it's better in that sense. It's hard to prove improvement outcomes. Outcomes are measured by mortality, morbidity, crude measurements. It's hard to show the difference. Right. There are no differences. It just allows better operations to be performed. But right. It's data-driven, so therefore we could improve. And now we're seeing more robots come into the market. You know, Google team with the with Johnson Johnson, the of coming out, Medtronic, Cambridge Medical Robotics in the UK, and others. Many and Medtronic what?
0: Medtronic Touch Surgery, right? Um, yeah, if the, I'm not mistaken, they changed
2: the name to Digital Surgery. That's right. They got worked out last year, this year actually. Really, They've done a great service, done really well. Uh, they're about uh, AI analytics and uh, visualization. So the back to the question about robots. The so robots are there to support. We've seen some people now use robots for remote operating. A few examples using 5G connectivity, doing transcontinental uh, training operations, for example. We've seen now that happen because 5G now is coming in and it's got low latency and, and uh, higher bandwidth. But the other thing is around is the visualization. If you look at, say, a laparoscopic surgery on a, on a kind of a screen, so the guys at Touch um, are now looking at how we analyze that properly so you can map it using AI so you can direct you navigate you through the procedure uh, hopefully allowing less mistakes to be made allow the team to work better predicting the outcome and in time you'll be seeing you know structures being pointed out but at risk for example to help you do the operation which you've never had before it's just based on your own right. experience your own vision nothing else to support you if you go off in wrong direction it's just your own intuition if you like and that's right. going to be that's going to be interesting so that what do you sweat the surgery machine—that's the future we're looking at. Data visualizations, you I ask, to um, navigate.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah I, there was two things, maybe just as you're talking, just to cover, and I'm sure you covered anyway. But is—is is, so when we look around, like I, again, your background—you you work in Bangladesh, and I think you worked in Bolivia. You know, you worked in that kind of on a global stage, and um, the fact that you know quality surgery surgery is not democratized, right? Like so, so. Um, like I was fascinated when I moved to Ireland, I grew up in the States and I live in Ireland. And I remember coming here and seeing how people were fantastic at certain kinds of sports, but they say weren't very good at basketball. But now when I see young Irish kids playing basketball, they, they sometimes have the movements of what looks like, almost look like American kids that spent their life because they watch YouTube and they, they will follow the NBA. So you, like almost naturally the kids look like an American kid playing basketball. And you know, so I, 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 but as an analogy, like, are the surgeons? Do you have surgeons competing to be as good in Bangladesh or Bolivia as in London? You know, is that possible? or, or what's happening from there?
2: So, no, I, I think as a surgeon, as a healthcare worker, James, everyone wants to be the best they can be. It, that's not unusual, right? You, everyone's driving to be the best surgeon, be better, improve, sure. and it's just part of our DNA, isn't it? What they lack, of course, is training sometimes, or the access to training, and also access to the, the tools, instruments. Yeah, and they make do. So surgeons so around the world are of equal capability, just as good clinically, make the right decisions. But what they're limited by is access to improvements, the access to knowledge, to training, to, which is all that I have available to me in the UK more than other people. Uh, and also that technology is gonna be the driver where theoretically you could train anyone in the world. And I'm hoping the world that we live in going forward will be democratized. We can reach out to people around the world, access great learning, access people's um, uh, experience and perhaps even remotely be proctored, remote proctoring, remote telemetrying, whatever it is, which may really help that. And the other thing is as we adopt these technologies and as they become more affordable and more cheaper and more accessible, you may see a data-driven healthcare system that's much more um, uh, standardized. So you can assess yourself on quality based on good metrics rather than these kind of vague areas of m- morbidity and mortality which are really not accurate at all, as you know, right? There's many things we do. If you do a risk analysis of something going wrong, you very, very, look at the operation and what happened in every detail. It's just, it's the process you're looking at. And perhaps at some point now, we can assess people's competence, the technical ability, the decision-making, the, the mm-hmm. deliberation that the are, the, the time taking, all the kind of data points that could help us uh, say right. that actually we can standardise care in a different way. I think that's the aspiration, James, I think.
0: It, so it, it, I don't want it, to be sorry. a party pooper here. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I actually get, got just mesmerized. So we're 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 actually running a little longer than normal. But um, I don't know, Jim. I I I'll I'll leave you the last question too, because
1: i you just yeah, could... no, dig it in yeah lovely. yeah yeah dig no, it in dig it in the other last one is so I so in the area mm-hmm. um, of. Non classically clinical trained people being able to do procedures?
2: Yeah. yeah. You know,
1: any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, great question. Absolutely right. If you look at the data, and I share this often with people. Um, the Lancet Commission, now five years ago, maybe six years ago, no, five years ago, 2015, produced this report on global surgery, right? And we're going to be about 2.2 million people short. That's anesthetists or anesthesiologists, uh, Eugene surgeons um, and other healthcare work- and, and gynecologists uh, by 2030. Globally? So, globally. So wow. 2.2 million people need just to make healthcare equitable. And this is 5 billion people cannot access surgery that's safe and affordable. That's a huge problem that we have. So can you train that many people tomorrow? Of course you can't, impossible, right? You've got to have new medical schools, new training, impossible. So, I think the workforce has to be smarter, use the existing workforce in a different way. Does it need, for example, a surgeon to spend five years at medical school, then another four to eight years training to drain an abscess, to take out a small lesion? Of course it does. It makes no sense. Let them do what they're trained for, that's more complicated and specific. Let other people get trained in shorter periods of time, take out a sebaceous cyst, to drain yeah. an abscess. Because in the third world like low-middle-income countries, you can't access that, you have to retrain the workforce. Yeah. Let nurses do operations, let other people right. think, okay, how do we use the workforce more smartly? We go back to the pandemic, the pandemic has shown us that we can use people in different ways. We've redistributed the workforce, from the front line to the he, ITU.
1: I froze anyway, maybe.
2: <laughs> so suddenly we can now just actually just train people in different ways. So actually let's use the workforce more smartly, where are the gaps, how do we use people? And uh, I think that's the, that's the correct way of looking at things, and actually not being hierarchical, saying yep. we all, you know, we can all do this, support people, and how do we use that workforce in an appropriate manner? And some of the stubbornness and the dogma tradition is out the window, because otherwise we can't justify uh, the healthcare of the world. Awesome.
0: Amazing. I'm, I'm going to stop us here. Uh, just also, I mean, the, the connectivity today, I think everybody, if this was live, I would know why, because everybody wants to see Shafi live. So that's why. Um, uh, but it was a pleasure. Um, just, you know, for everybody watching or listening, just hit that subscribe button on YouTube. As I keep saying, show to show, we're trying to hit the Joe Rogan status, Jim and I. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's a wrap for this uh, episode. Season two, episode three, I think. Whoo!
1: That's a wrap. <laughs>